impact. God can and will make an impact in us and through us. He is already impacting the world around us. And I want to be a part of that. And I hope that you do too. So as we begin this morning, we're going to be looking in the Bible in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 3. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, open there. and We'll be there the entire time this morning. But as we begin that, I want you to begin thinking in your mind. Talking about faith promise, asking God, what part do you want me to have? I honestly believe it's equally as wrong to do less as it is to do more than what God has told us you to do. So simply say, God, what part do you want me to have? But also, I firmly believe that you are not here by accident today. You know, despite what your parents may have told you growing up, you are not an accident. Therefore, if you are here for a reason today, stop for a moment and let's pray and thank God for that reason. Say, God, will you show that to me? Will you help me do and respond the way that you want me to respond and be the person you want me to be? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here today, Lord. I thank you for the impact that you've made in our lives, how that you have changed us and grown us and developed us, and you are still changing and growing us and developing us so that we can be the people you want us to be and do the things you want us to do. Lord, as we open up your word today, I pray that it will be an encouragement to us that you open up our hearts and our minds to learn what you want us to learn today so that we can respond correctly and respond quickly when you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. The premise of this entire series has been based upon a poem. A poem was written well over 100 years ago by a missionary named C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd was a missionary in a number of different countries, and he wrote a poem, and there's a couple lines of the poem, and it's on the screen for you. It says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And particularly for me personally, over the last six weeks of this series, that has been mulling around in my mind. And it's been changing the way I do things. I've been thinking through, is what I'm doing going to last? Is what my time, is it actually worthwhile? Is it for me? Is it going to go away? Or is this ultimately for Jesus Christ? And the beauty is, as we find in Scripture, all throughout the Bible, we see accounts of how we can live and do the things that God wants us to do. Over the course of the series, we talked about the fact that God sends us and He grows us and develops us. He helps us to impact our family. He helps us impact our nation. He helps us go through and make a difference in our local community. And we have a principle for today that I wish to apply to our lives. It says this, God's power at work in my life enables me to make an impact in the world. There's a real key there. It's not my strength. It's not my ability. Now, some of you may have a really good self-image, and I hope you, you do. I hope when you look in the mirror, you look at your mirror this morning and go, I look good. I hope that was you this morning. Some of you, I don't know. Maybe you have low standards. And as you have a good self-image, you may think to yourself, this is incredible, the things that I am able to do. 
and I can do all these incredible things. And you begin thinking through all the things that you have done in your strength and your power. And I propose to you today that I personally, and maybe you're the same way, have never done anything of eternal significance apart from the power of God working in us and through us. And that's not just a, one of those really humble statements like, oh yes, I, it was nothing, it was praise God. No, it's absolutely true. There's absolutely no way that I can save a soul. There's absolutely no way that I can turn a person's life upside down. And I absolutely there's no way that you and I in our own strength and our own power can earn God's favor and earn eternity in heaven with Him. We absolutely want to make a positive impact in our world, don't we? We want to make an impact. We want, and not just an impact, we want to make a positive impact in our world around us. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 3, to give you a little background to that, that book of Ephesians, is written nearing the end of a man's life named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was a very famous man in the New Testament. He wrote the, the majority of the New Testament. He was a very well-educated man. He had a miraculous conversion where God, Jesus Christ himself called him and he followed Jesus Christ and his life quite literally was going one direction down to destruction. Jesus Christ called him. He turned 180 degrees around and began serving God, never questioning his faith at all and did absolutely miraculous things for and God working in and through him. Nearing the end of his life, he was in Rome under arrest. And history tells us that he never gets out of this. In fact, he's killed in Rome. And history tells us he was killed by Caesar, and Caesar ordered his death. And you look at this and you think to yourself, this is a man who has quite literally been there, done that. And at the end of his life, you would think to yourself, I'm never getting out of prison. There's a time in my life when I can start writing a little bit selfishly. Like, woe is me. You should really feel sorry for me, because look where I am. I'm never going to get out, and the lion's teeth are big, and it's scary. We find in this passage here, he's still thinking about others. So he writes this letter while under arrest in Rome to a church that's in the modern-day Turkey, in a church called Ephesus. And this church has, we know as the book of Ephesians. And the beginning of chapter number 3 talks about the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the latter part, which we're looking at this morning, verses 14 through 21, is our response. And it's a response in the way of prayer. And he's, he's writing out a prayer that he has specifically for this church in Ephesus. Real people that really read this letter, and they were, it was to them. But I also believe because it's inspired by, the, by God and preserved by God, this is for us today. So as we read through this passage together, in Ephesians chapter number 3, starting in verse number 14, I want you to stop and think, this is for me today. Don't worry about the person next to you. Be a little bit selfish for just a few moments and say, God, you have this for me today. Let's read it together. Verse number 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. In other words, I'm getting down in a posture of prayer. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
And verse 16, it begins, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Verses 20 and 21 gives us the correct response. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That last part there, it says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. I don't know about you, but I have some pretty big plans for life. I think to myself, and maybe you're the same way, I can see the future. I can see where we're going to go. I have dreams. I have, I have desires. I want to see lives changed. I want to see a church built and grown. I, I want to see individual people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, last week, we handed out invitation cards, and we prayed throughout our community. And one of the most impactful parts about praying for individual houses is that after you prayed for that house, I am looking for people to come to know Christ as their Savior in the little area that I did because I prayed for them. I had big plans, but according to this passage, Jesus Christ is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. How? Because it's according to His power. And that's the power that we want to tap into today. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not you know, a power of positive thinking. You know, I am good, I am great, I am wonderful. You may have that playing in, in, in your bed at night as you go to sleep. I am good, I am great, I am wonderful. That's not what we're talking about here. It's talking about tapping into real power and real strength that will really change your life, my life, and ultimately the only way that our community is going to be changed. So let's walk through this prayer together. And this is a prayer. There's four different points this morning. We're going to walk through very quickly. The four points are we're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray for depth. We're going to pray for understanding. And we're going to pray to be filled. Those are the four points. Let's look at the first one together. Pray for strength. In verse number 16, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Another passage in the Bible that talks about power is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We see there, to outline that verse 16, it says, according to the riches of his glory. Riches are very proportional. Comparatively, everyone in Australia is rich compared to people that are living in the slums of India. It's all comparable. But here we're tapping into God's riches. And it says there, according to the riches of His glory. 
you start thinking about the resources that God has, the power and the strength that God has, the opportunities that God gives us, not just for now, but for all eternity. And we look at things like that, and we begin to change our perspective. If I was to give you $1,000, first of all, side note, I'm not, but if I was to give you $1,000, that would cost me proportionally a great deal. I'll be a little more bold. $10,000, yes, that's right. $10,000, that would cost me a lot of money. It would definitely cut into our savings. Proportionally, that's a really high proportion. Talk about God proportionally. When He gives to you, He doesn't just give you the scraps. He gives you proportionally. And also, look at God. Does it actually cost Him anything? Because He owns absolutely everything. He's in control of absolutely everything. When God gives you love, it doesn't cost me anything. In fact, God's love is immeasurable. So therefore, when we talk about prayer for strength, we often think in our finite minds, I won't have enough, or I don't have enough. But if we look at God being the all-powerful, all-knowing, all the riches we could ever hope for and ever dream of, and then some, we realize that when we ask God to strengthen us, and to empower us, and to provide for us. It's not a matter of God looking at his wallet and going, actually, I'm sorry, I don't have enough. We also move on from them. We see his strength is that he doesn't just give like a resource or his leftovers. He gives himself. Finishing off in that passage, it says, power through his Spirit. Power through His Spirit. He gives Himself. The Bible teaches that when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, God gives Himself. The Bible teaches that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you when you do wrong. Also, the role of the Holy Spirit is He seals your salvation. He holds you and seals you. The Bible says that no one's able to pluck us out of the Savior's hand and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The other role of the Holy Spirit is that He reveals truth to us. We understand and have greater understanding. When you read your Bible and you open up the Word of God, you read it and you read it with new and fresh eyes because you're reading and understanding it as the Holy Spirit is teaching you. He's giving you strength and He's giving you His own riches and He's giving you Himself. I don't want to make an impact in my strength. I want to make an impact in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. Therefore, I will live different. I I don't want to live different just to gain God's favor. I want to live different because He's working in me and through me. We see the the, the impact prayer for strength. We also, next thing was we see the impact prayer, God, give me some depth. In our relationship, we have lots of relationships. We have lots of what I would call high and goodbye relationships. The the person that you see at Woolworths that checks you out and they ask you how your day is, a little little side note, they actually don't care. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they actually don't care. So when you start telling them your life story, the next person in line 
gets their eye, they roll their eyes at them and go. So therefore, what they really want to hear is, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? And they'll say, good. They don't want to talk. So therefore, it's a high and goodbye relationship. The person at the bank is exactly the same way. When you come into a church family, I will absolutely say that is not what we want. We want to hear your story. We want to hear your story. We want to find out how we can help you and be a blessing to you. If you have prayer requests, we want to find out how we can pray for you. If there's practical needs, we want to find out how we can be a practical help to you. But with that, we get past the high and goodbye of the relationship and get into the deep. I don't want a high and goodbye relationship with my wife or with my children. I want to know their hearts. I want to find out what my needs are for my wife so I can best serve her as her husband. The difference between knowing about Christ and living an intimate relationship with Christ comes down to the depth of our relationship. In verse 17 it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. The first thing we see there is the fact that we dwell. That's where we live. That Christ may dwell in our hearts. That's absolutely a prayer. That's where we're comfortable. We, where you dwell is somewhere that you are comfortable. <clears throat> I'm saying this kind of as a tongue-in-cheek joke. Okay? So if you've been to my house, I'm not talking about any of you particularly. But when you come to my home, you're a guest. I often say, come, come in, please, make yourself at home. How many of you have ever said that before? Make yourself at home. How many of you really, really, truly mean, go through my drawers? How many of you really mean, clear, totally clear out the fridge? How many of you? No, of course not. What you do is you come in and you say, I want to be hospitable, but actually I don't want you to live here. There's a time that you must go back to your home. And what we see here is that when Christ lives in our hearts, there's a big difference between being a guest and being family. Family, they come in, they lay back. Like I often tell my kids, like, what, like look how you're sitting. Like, put your feet like, how do you even find that comfortable laying on the sofa like that? You know, sit up straight. You know, move around a little bit. You know, clean up your room. Where you dwell is where you're comfortable. When I walk into my own home and you're the same way, you act a great deal different than when you come into a stranger's home. You walk into a stranger's home, you don't know what the rules are. You sit up a little bit straighter. On the way to your stranger's home or the new friend's house, you threaten your children that they must have good manners. Do not embarrass me today. You know what? When it's grandma and grandpa's house and you've been going there every, every day or every week, it's totally comfortable and you treat it very differently. That's the mindset. Jesus Christ, he lives in our life. He dwells in our, our daily lives. So therefore, every aspect of our daily lives is different as a result. It also says there, the next word down is that the Christ may be rooted in love. That is to get the deep down, the roots deep down into the, the water. I, I bought some plants this last week. And one of my fears in planting, um, of course it's been raining this weekend, is I plant the plants, the roots won't get down deep enough before summer comes, and they all wilt and they die before summer. 
So therefore, I'll be out there watering and watering and watering and fertilizing, hoping the roots to get down deep so that I don't have to be out there every day with a hose watering the plants. In our own lives, we have to get beyond just the surface and get down to the depth, get down deep, because that's where we'll truly begin to live out Christ's love in our lives. So the third word there is to be grounded, so that Christ may be grounded in love. The best illustration I can think about being grounded is a skyscraper. A skyscraper, in order to build an incredible tower, they go down deep, deep into the ground, down to the bedrock. And when they hit the bedrock, they, they purchase the foundation down into that in order to give it strength. If it was simply like a house like many of us are built on with a slab laying on sand that shifts and moves and cracks our walls, there's no way we could build tall without going deep. This is a tweetable quote on the screen for you. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. And I want you to think that through in our lives. We're talking about making a commitment to God for the next year for our world missions. If you, can't, if you don't go deep, if you don't go deep into your relationship with God, there's no way you're going to be able to go high in your own strength. You have to do it with God. So therefore, you have to go deep first. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. We also see here that the trials of our life test the depth of our experiences. The ups and the downs of life. There's going, there, there will be times in your life, and even in the next couple of weeks, or even the next days, or maybe you're experiencing it right now, that you t- think to yourself, I don't know what's going on. It's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling to not know what's going to be happening. It's a horrible feeling to be sitting in the the ED department and hearing the beeps of the little machines working around you and thinking to yourself, I don't have a diagnosis. I don't know what's going on in my life. But I honestly believe that the deeper we get in our relationship with God, our experiences begin to change. The way we look at our experiences begin to change also. We see the impact of prayer. The impact of prayer, we pray for strength, we pray for depth, we also, we must pray for understanding. One of the most frustrating things is when you don't understand something. That's basically algebra all the way through. Like to this day. (laughs) Like I have no idea, that's why I became a pastor. It says in that passage in verse 18 and 19, that you may have strength to comprehend. That word comprehend is not just in your head. It actually has a deeper word than just head knowledge. It comes down to and adds to the thought of depth going deep. And it has the understanding of to grasp onto, to have a firm hold on something. If you go to a mechanic and the mechanic goes, "Mm, I've never done this before. Or you go to a surgeon and your surgeon says, Hmm, I've never seen that before. Let me cut you open. I don't know if I would trust that. Here, as the understanding, it says that you may have strength to comprehend. That is a full grasp of something. You're holding on to it. I understand it fully. With all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, 
the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The more I learn about Jesus Christ, the more that I get into the Bible, the more I say, wow. I know that's not really a deep theological word. But do you find the same thing? The more that you live life, the more understanding you have, the more grasp on the things of God, the more experiences that you experience with God, and you take those small steps of faith that at the time, you look back upon there were so small steps, but at the time, they feel like there were giant leaps of faith. And you look back and you think to yourself, How, why was I questioning that? Only thing you go back and go, wow, God, you've provided here, provided here, provided here, and look how far along I am in the Christian life now, simply because you did what you promised to do. We don't want to be like this young lady in a few moments on this video. Remember Candid Camera? I, I love Candid Camera type shows. And this is a really old Candid Camera video. It's a young girl who's sitting in an office, and she gets a phone call to give one message. Hello? Hi, is Mr. Jones here? No. Who's this? Kathleen. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Fine. Good. Look, I have a message for Mr. Jones. Would you give it to him when he comes back? Yes. This is the message. Tell Mr. Jones that there's a meeting between his lunch and his 2.30 appointment. You got it? Okay. Yes. Would you tell him that? Yes. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Oh, I forgot it. Oh, I just forgot it. Forgot the message. You don't want to be like that. I firmly believe that when you read the Bible, when you come to church, when you seek and ask God, and you ask God questions like, God, what do you want me to do? God will answer those questions. But if we don't have understanding, if we don't have comprehension where we've grasped onto hearing from God, not just hearing the voice, but then acting upon it, I believe we'll be like that young girl and be hitting our head going, oh no, what did you say, God? Because I really want to obey you, but I forgot what you said. We need to have understanding of the things of God. Moving on from there, past understanding is, finally, a prayer to be filled. It says in that passage, in verse number 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. When we are filled with the fullness of God, the really the, the wonderful thing we find here is that we begin to be filled with the right things. You continue reading other passages of the Bible. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And it talks about being filled with whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of good report. You know, the Scripture begins listing off the things that we're filled with. And we begin to be filled with the right things. And as we are filled with the right things, we begin to be able to be living out a different life as a result. And also, on top of that, I love the thought and the fact that it says, filled with the fullness of God. 
Sometimes we think to ourselves because of our self-image or because of where we've placed ourselves in our socioeconomic barriers. We think to ourselves, well, if I only had that, then I could be obedient. If I only had that opportunity, if I only had that education, if I only had that spouse or those children or that job or those opportunities or that car and whatever it is, you begin listing off, if I just had that, then I would. And the problem with thinking, if I could, then I would type statements is that you actually never move forward. And according to this passage in the prayer of the Apostle Paul for you and I, and I believe we can pray this prayer for ourselves, is that we're filled with all fullness of God. So we're not just filled with the right things. We're filled to the top. God has given you, and this is an encouraging statement, God has given you just enough time, just enough resources, just enough opportunities in order to be obedient to what God wants you to do today. If God wants you to do something else in the future, then he will provide it for you in the future. And this is a principle that I've been mulling around in my mind and endeavoring to live out for quite a while in my own life. And I'm discovering it to be very, very true that God gives me just enough. Then comes back down to our response to that. The correct response we see in verses 20 and 21 in that passage, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to all the power at work within us. In other words, it's already at work. You notice that? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's including our generation and the generation to come forever and ever. And the Apostle Paul wasn't ending with the book here, but he was finishing off his prayer saying, Amen. The word Amen is something we often say, or sometimes we say Amen. It's simply a word that means, so let it be. We often traditionally finish our prayers with Amen. I do. But it simply means, so let it be. We see the correct response lived out in the life of Jesus' disciples. When Jesus was very early on in his ministry, in Matthew chapter number 4, he was calling his first disciples. And the first disciples he called were fishermen. And there's this passage here in in Matthew 4, he he calls several uh, of his disciples. We're going to look at just two of them. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Particularly notice the response of these disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And verse number 20 is a life-changing, eternity-changing decision that these two men made. They were in the middle of cleaning their nets, fishing. They were busy doing good things, providing for their families, working a job. And what do we see here? When God and Jesus Christ called them, verse number 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. That forever changed Peter and Andrew's life. It changed many other people's lives because of their witness and testimony. 
Jesus sees the disciples not what they currently were. They were simple fishermen. Like other passages in the Bible says, how do these men speak the way they speak? Because they're unlearned men. They didn't have a great education. They were simply fishermen. Jesus Christ saw them where they were and then said, I'm going to take you to where I want you to be. Where you are right now is not where I want you to be. Where you are right now is where you are so I can begin to take you. And it's a principle that you and I are going to be applying in a few moments' time when we collect our commitment cards for Faith Promise and we talk about the special announcement we have coming up. Because God sees us where we are today and says, I am going to take you somewhere in the future that oftentimes you have no idea about and 100% true, you do not have the ability to do on your own. It's only through His strength and His power that we do this. Lord, I thank You that You have called us. I thank You that You have a purpose for us, that You have a purpose for us far beyond our ability. But You see us where we are, and You want to take us where You want us to be. Lord, I believe through small steps of daily faith, that you daily grow us and develop us. You don't want us to remain where we were last week and certainly not last year, but you're constantly growing us and developing us so that we can be the people you want us to be and to do the things you want us to do. And Lord, I pray that we'll simply be obedient and that you will do what you promised to do, that you will provide. And in Jesus' name, amen.